Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a teaching series called Dear God, where together we're learning to practice praying as Jesus taught us. Thanks for joining us. Well, good morning, Cherry Hills family. It's good to gather with you this morning. We miss you. We long to be together, but we are thankful for technology and that we can gather this way. Also, I just want to thank our tech team and all of the efforts they've put in to make all of this possible. So we're grateful for all of their efforts. I want to begin this morning by sharing with you some prayer requests from children. The first says, Dear God, please make my parents understand that if I don't eat salad, I do better at school. The next says, Dear God, I need you to make my mom not allergic to cats. I really want a cat, and I really don't want to ask my mom to move out. Dear God, can you get me a smartphone? Santa must have forgot. Dear God, when will my sister stop being annoying? I'm down to my last patience. Dear God, please don't let it rain on Saturday. The first ball I hit will be for you. And the last one, dear God, I love Christmas and Easter. Could you please put another holiday in the middle? There's nothing good in there right now. And if we're honest, that's what we think of when we think of prayer. Prayer means many things to many people, but at its simplest, it means asking God for help. This makes sense. Even the origin of the word in Middle English, if you're following in your notes, means to ask earnestly, to ask earnestly. And and it's no surprise that as Jesus teaches his disciples, as he teaches us to pray, he includes asking. But what we are discovering together in prayer is that prayer is so much more than just asking, even though asking is a significant part of prayer. And what we're learning in this series titled Dear God, if you're following in your notes, is that we're learning together how to pray the way Jesus taught us. And we're learning how to pray using the prayer Jesus taught his disciples. It's commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer. And I want to invite you to open your Bibles or your devices this morning to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 6, and we'll be in verse 9 this morning. And before we talk about asking, I want to share several reminders that are crucial for us to understand. We've said this the first three weeks of the series, but I want to say it again because understanding these fundamentals of prayer will change the way we ask. The first thing, if you're following in your notes, prayer is fundamentally about a relationship. It's about a relationship. If you want to know how to get to know God better, spending time in his word is crucial. And just as important is spending time in prayer. That's why we're spending seven weeks learning how to pray. Prayer is the way we develop a relationship with God. Think about this with me. Any relationship in your life, the depth of that relationship, the trust that you have in that relationship, the vulnerability that you share in that relationship, 
is based in large part on the amount of time you spend with the other person. Ask yourself this question. How would my relationship with my whoever, your spouse, family member, friend, how would that relationship be if I spent the same amount of time with them as I spend with God? Prayer is a primary way we develop a relationship with God. Pastor and author Pete Gregg has this fantastic quote. He says, if you're following on your notes, prayer is primarily relational rather than transactional. God's greatest gift is always, ultimately, simply himself. Prayer is fundamentally about a relationship. We're actually using Greg's book, How to Pray, during this series, and it's a resource that we want to recommend. As I read this book, I didn't just find myself reading and learning about prayer, I found myself praying. And we want to encourage you to look into this. We believe it can be a valuable resource for you as well. In that book, Greg walks through the Lord's Prayer and he uses the acronym PRAY. If you're following in your notes, pause, rejoice, ask, and yield. Jeff began the series in Matthew 6, verses 5 through 8, by talking about the importance of finding a place to pray. And I have found this so helpful for a number of years. I love that the ancient Celtic tradition calls these special places thin places, where the distance between heaven and earth collapse. Where is that for you? Have you found a place yet that is sacred for you when you pray? If I could choose anywhere in the world, it would be by an ocean where I can see God's creation, or it would be a screened-in porch in Birmingham, Alabama, where I can spend time with God in the company of good friends overlooking Red Mountain. At home, it's outside on the patio. Again, there's something about being in God's creation that is significant for me. And during bad weather, it's at the kitchen table being able to look outside. But where is your thin place? That was our first weekly practice, find a place. The past two weeks, we've looked at Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Would you read this with me, either in the first gray box on your notes or on the screen? It says, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. In our second weekly practice, we talked about intentionally slowing down to center ourselves, how to breathe deeply how to focus on Jesus and meditate on God's word, filling our minds with the truth and goodness of God. Last week, we talked about our rejoice, and our third weekly practice was to rejoice in the names of God and the works of God. And the reason I believe Jesus taught us to begin our prayers by pausing and rejoicing is because it orients us. If you're following in your notes, pause and rejoice, heal our perspective. It provides a proper perspective of who we are praying to and the situations we find ourselves 
in. Instead of jumping into what we need and asking for things, we acknowledge who we're praying to. Andrew Murray, a 19th century South African writer, once said, the power of prayer depends almost entirely upon our apprehension of who it is with whom we speak. Beautiful words. So Jesus teaches us to get our perspective right first, and then we move into asking. So with that in mind, would you read verse 11 with me on the screen or in the second gray box on your notes? It says, give us today our daily bread. Six words. But knowing the context of these six words is so helpful. Jesus is speaking to a group of Jewish people, and there would have been two strong connection points that popped for them. The first, many people in the first century lived day to day. They had a subsistence living. This would have been a very real prayer request for a specific need in their life, food on the table. The second connection point is that this phrase would have immediately taken them back to a very familiar story told by their ancestors. The notion of daily bread would have taken them back to the Old Testament in the book of Exodus chapter 16 when God fed his people in the wilderness with manna, a type of bread that only remained for a day. If they tried to go out and collect more than what they needed for that day, by the next morning it would be rotten. And through this daily occurrence, God's people learned that they could trust God and that he provided for their daily needs. If you're following along in your notes, asking teaches us to trust and depend on God for what we need. I'll talk about praying for our wants and our desires in a few minutes, but this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, is particularly focused on praying for what we need. And when we pray the way Jesus taught us, if you're following in your notes, asking realigns our needs and our wants. It realigns them, it clarifies them. Pete Gregg speaks to this context. He writes, there is a strong sense in this phrase of asking for today's needs versus tomorrow's wants. It's not that there's anything wrong with requesting our wants. It's just that we have no right to expect or insist on an unending stream of luxuries. Daily bread means daily bread. Nutella is not guaranteed. I love that. And most of the time, if I'm honest, I don't pray for daily bread. I ask for Nutella. And then when God doesn't deliver the way I think he should, I find myself disappointed in him or doubting his goodness. And I begin believing that I know better than God what I think I need. And if I jump into asking for things, I usually ask for what I want instead of what I need. And that's why it's so important to pause and rejoice before asking. 
One pastor said, you cannot understand, give us this day our daily bread unless you see your praying to your father in heaven, not the genie of the lamp. When we pause and pray, we don't just pray for our wants any longer. We begin praying for our needs and the needs of others. And we find that our needs align with God's heart more often. Here's several examples of how I've noticed this in my own life. When I spend time pausing and rejoicing, I find myself asking God to change me rather than changing other people. I find that I ask God to help me through a difficult situation rather than just asking him to fix my situation. I find myself asking for his will to be done in my life more than asking him to bless my will. Do you see the healing of perspective that takes place when we pause and rejoice before we ask. Asking realigns our needs and our wants. And in addition, asking develops our relationship with God. And that's because if you're following in your notes, asking is relational, vulnerable, and intentional. People ask, right? Why do I even need to pray? Doesn't God already know what I need? And the answer to that is yes, he does. But the reason Jesus instructs us to ask in prayer is because prayer is relational, vulnerable, and intentional. And Jesus is always more interested in relationship than just dispensing blessings. Jesus could have healed many people as he walked down the road, but because he was interested in a relationship, he stopped and had an encounter with people, with the woman who was bleeding, with blind Bartimaeus, with Zacchaeus. Jesus could have just healed them, but they would not have had the opportunity to meet him. And when we ask in prayer, we get to know Jesus better. Asking is always relational. And as we said earlier, the best gift Jesus gives us is himself. Asking is also vulnerable. I want to submit to you that making a request to admit an area of need in our life is a vulnerable thing to do. It can be a little scary to admit that we don't have it all together and we can't provide for ourselves. Asking requires humility, and God is more than willing to help those who admit their dependence on him. Asking is relational. Asking is vulnerable and requires humility, and asking is intentional. It involves our wills. When Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you? We have a choice to make. Do we engage or do we hide? On Friday morning, just a couple days ago, I was spending time pausing, rejoicing, and asking. I was using an app that I appreciate. It's called Lectio 365. You can find that on our resource page for this series. I've really enjoyed using that the past few months. And in that app, I was reading the story of a blind man named Bartimaeus 
And as Jesus is walking down the road in a town named Jericho, Bartimaeus is calling out to Jesus. And like we've talked about, Jesus could have just healed him and kept on walking towards Jerusalem, but he stopped. He engaged in a conversation with Bartimaeus and he asked Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? And it seems kind of obvious, doesn't it? Bartimaeus responds with, I want to see. Jesus was looking for relationship. He was looking for vulnerability. He was looking for humility. And he is making Bartimaeus be intentional. It's a great example of Jesus wanting us to ask. And then there was this question after that story. And it stopped me in my tracks more than any question has stopped me in a long time. I want to put it on the screen for you. It was so significant. The question was, if Jesus called me to come to him right now and asked, what do you want me to do for you? What would my answer be? At first, I just, I, I paused and I said, I don't know. I don't know how I'd answer that. And I stopped to intentionally think and pray about what need I would humbly and vulnerably name to Jesus. And when I thought about the question in this context, personally, it seemed like all my wants went out the window. And I found myself saying, this is what I wrote, God, heal my heart. Make me more like Jesus. Help me see people the way Jesus sees people and love people the way he loves them. I'm not sure I would have answered that way if I had not spent time pausing and rejoicing first. And on different days, there may be different requests that I would make. How would you answer that where you are today? What need would you offer to Jesus? Is it about your spiritual growth? Is it your health or the health of someone you love? Is it provision for a job or food or income? Is it for a broken relationship to be restored? What would it be for you? As Jesus teaches us to pray, he invites us to ask him to meet our needs. What needs do you have today that you need to ask him for. I want to end our time together this morning by talking about four questions that surface when we talk about asking, I have struggled with prayer for years, how to understand it. I've had a ton of questions that I've spent looking into. And as I was preparing, I really sensed the Lord wanted me to address several questions about asking. I hope you find this helpful. The first question, does prayer change things? Does prayer change things? I've actually left a little bit of room under each question on your notes that you can write your own comments in, but does prayer change things? There is a tension and a mystery that we live with. The tension is that we have not because we ask not. The the Bible says that. 
And yet God is sovereign and he is in control. There's a tension that we read in the Old Testament that God changed his mind or relented on four different occasions because of prayers offered by people. Yet we also read that God is unchangeable. These two facts are true at once and how that is possible is a mystery to us. But there is an illustration that has helped me understand this a bit better, and it's how we imagine God. We can picture God as an aloof monarch removed from the details of the world. He set everything in motion, and everything is as it should be. Or we can picture God as a caring parent with traits of love, generosity, sensitivity, and compassion. An infinite being who personally interacts with and responds to his creation. And accordingly, God considers prayers in this way, much as a wise parent might consider a request from a child. Two different ways to view God. And I can't answer this question any better than Tim Keller, a pastor and author, answers this. He states, If we believed our prayers don't matter, then it would lead to discouraged passivity. If, on the other hand, we really believed that our actions changed God's plan, it would lead to paralyzing fear. If both are true, however, we have the greatest incentive for diligent prayer because we can't frustrate God's good plans. I believe that when we pray, it can change things. It can move God's heart and it can influence the trajectory of our lives and the lives of others. One author sums this up by saying, there are wonderful things that will only happen if we ask for them in prayer. Does prayer change things? Yes, it does. The second question, can we pray for our desires and our wants? We've spent a lot of time today talking about praying for our needs versus our wants. So I want to talk about this briefly. And we're looking at the Lord's prayer. And in this context, we pray for our daily needs. But there are places all over the Bible that instruct us to pray without ceasing. Pray on all occasions. Psalm 37 verse 4 actually says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. We can ask God to fulfill our desires. We don't have to shrink back from that. The Psalms are filled with examples of people pouring out their heart's desires to God. But again, this is where our perspectives need healed. It is fine to pray for our desires, but if God wills something different than what we're asking, we can trust that God's ways are better than our ways. In short, either God will give us what we ask for, he'll give us our desires, or he would give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knew. We can pray for our desires, but we can be sure that if we ask for something that wouldn't be best for us, God won't give it to us. The third question that I wrestle with, can I pray for small things 
or just big things. There's a piece of artwork hanging in our kitchen that reads, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That verse is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18, and it reminds me to pray about everything. So can we pray about small things? Absolutely. Parking spaces, school tests, red lights, vacations, trip to the store, you name it. I think sometimes we feel like we're bothering God if we come to him with the small stuff. He can handle the big stuff, but we don't want to bother him with the small stuff. But let me share with you the importance of praying for small things in a quote from Pete Gregg. He says, if you only ever pray about big, ugly, gnarly problems that seem onerous and serious enough to warrant divine intervention, you will only very occasionally experience miracles. But when you pray about small things, you start to notice how many minor miracles are scattered around in the course of an average day. When I pray, coincidences happen. When I stop praying, the coincidences stop happening. It is by asking more for lesser things that we rediscover how to live with the wide-eyed wonder of a child. When you pray about the small things in life, you get to live with greater gratitude. We can pray for the small things all day long. And then the fourth question that I've wrestled with is, how do I practice asking? How do I practice? Is there a right way or a wrong way? There's not a wrong way, but the practice we want to encourage you to try this week, if you're following on your notes, is to create a prayer list. Create a prayer list. I'm going to be doing this with you. While I have practiced the principles of a prayer list for some time, I've not written them down. So I'm going to be practicing with you this week. And don't feel overwhelmed when I say create a prayer list. It's actually really easy, but it can be very helpful as we learn to pray. A prayer list helps us pay attention to what we're praying for. It also allows us not to feel like we have to pray for everything every day. I've tried that before. This overwhelming feeling like I've got to pray for everything today. And if I don't, I'm not doing it right. And it can be exhausting and creates guilt. And a prayer list frees us up from that. And creating a prayer list allows us to look back to see how God has answered our prayers. So here's the practice. Take out a notepad. Take out a notepad and write each day of the week on a page. What I do each day is I assign a different prayer focus of what I want to commit to pray for that day. And now I'm committing it to writing. Here's what it looks like for me. Each day I begin with pausing and rejoicing to center myself on the presence of God and realign my needs versus my wants. I spend time praying for my daily needs and my family. And then I want to put this on the screen. In my journal on Monday, I pray for family and friends who don't yet follow Jesus. Who are my ones? Who are your ones that don't yet know Jesus? We want to commit to praying for them because prayer changes things. Prayer changes things. So on Monday, I pray for them. 
On Tuesday, I pray for our church staff and ministries. One of my responsibilities is to oversee ministry staff, so I want to be praying for them and their ministries. On Wednesday, I pray over our church prayer list with prayer requests submitted by many of you. On Thursday, I pray for our missionaries. And on Friday, I pray for world events, this coronavirus, for race relations in our community and in our country, for justice around the world. I pray for the orphans around the world. I pray for world events. And then at the end of the week, I can reflect on what I've prayed for and see how God has been at work in my life and in the lives of those I've prayed for. It allows me to not miss the many ways that God is always at work. You can learn more about this practice on our resource page for this Dear God series. The web address is on the screen. But I want to encourage you to check that out and practice creating a prayer list this week. Friends, Jesus invites us to ask. He taught us to ask. And like children, we can ask because we have a relationship with the one who we are asking. We depend on him and we trust that he knows what is best for us. We ask because we know we have access to God and that he listens to our prayers and that prayer can change things. Our father wants to hear from us. He wants us to ask. I want to finish with this quote from Tim Keller. He says, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access. Friends, that's who we pray to, and that's why we pray. We have access to the Father. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.